This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You've heard the phrase information overload. It's not necessary to tell you what that means. You know what it means. But it might be useful to quantify that phrase, just how much information bombards us each day. Americans, as, as you know better than anyone else, take in five times more information today than they did in 1986. That's the equivalent of 174 newspapers worth of information. Five times as much, says Dr. Daniel Levitin, the cognitive psychologist, neuroscientist, and author of numerous best-selling books, including one called A Field Guide to Lies, Critical Thinking in the Information Age. During our leisure time alone, we process 34 gigabytes of information, and we've created a world that has 300 exabytes of human-made information. Just one person's share of that, your share of the 300 exabytes, if each piece of information pertaining to you was written on a 3 by 5 index card and laid out end-to-end, side-by-side, it would cover all of the square miles of Massachusetts and Connecticut combined in an, over- an overwhelming amount of information. And so no wonder most of us are feeling like we can't keep up. We're drowning in all this information. It's everywhere all the time a veritable endless tsunami. It's obviously impossible to process it all. Our brains, after all, have not developed five times more processing power. All of this makes it harder than ever to determine what is true and what is not, what is accurate and what is made up, perhaps deliberately made up to fool us, to make us believe something that simply is not so. There is, of course, a word for this, disinformation. I'm Paul Brandis, and that's the name of this series. It's called simply Disinformation. And I'm Meredith Wilson, founder and CEO of Emergent Risk International, and I'll be providing analysis throughout each episode. The talk by Dr. Levitin given at Google is illustrative of our problem. There's simply too much information for us to process. Decide for yourself whether this coincides with another dynamic of our age, an age increasingly driven by social media, and that is our tendency to band together with like-minded individuals and place trust in whatever they're saying or sharing. This is known as tribalism. It's an environment that perhaps makes it easier for bad actors to slip in false narratives designed to advance their agendas. Much of this, as we've discussed in prior episodes, originates in places like Russia, China, and elsewhere. Their malicious efforts to weaken us and undermine our democratic institutions are tracked by the Alliance for Securing Democracy, part of the German Marshall Fund, using a tool called the Authoritarian Interference Tracker. 
Brett Schaefer is a senior fellow and head of its information manipulation team. So the authoritarian interference tracker is essentially a place where we've aggregated open source research um, across the transatlantic space, looking at uh, five different vectors that we've identified as being these sort of key sources of influence. So there we're looking at things like information manipulation, cyber operations, uh, economic coercion, malign finance, and civil society subversion. So we we separate those things out and we create sort of individual categories and incidents for each of those. But ASD as an organization was essentially built to not be a sort of stovepipe organization. So the idea is that like we are looking at the cross-cutting uh, incidents across these different categories. So yes, there are cyber operations, but often cyber operations are funded through malign finance and there's a information manipulation component to them as well. So many of the incidents are tagged across multiple columns. So the idea is to look at the three threat actors that we look at, although right now I think we only have Russia and China in there. This is a big project. The ASD, again, the Alliance for Securing Democracy, has cast a wide net going back decades, a period covering, for example, just about all of Vladimir Putin's rule in Russia and the Kremlin's never-ending influence operations against the West. So we did basically two decades of open source research, looking at Europe, the US, and then finding all of the incidents in these categories that we look at from Russia and China, when there have been documented cases of them engaging in, again, economic coercion, information manipulation, cyber operations, things of that nature. So the idea around this tool was to create a sort of one-stop shop where researchers could go and be able to look at patterns over time to have a better understanding of, okay, here's sort of the TTP that China has used over the past decade to target Central and Eastern Europe, for example, to give audiences a little bit better sense of how these different threat actors use these various tools at their disposal to undermine democratic institutions, to try to uh, increased polarization. I mean, everything that we know China and Russia have done uh, across the democratic world to try to weaken Western societies. Brett used an acronym, TPP. That stands for Tactics, Techniques, and Protocols. It's used to discuss the sort of mechanisms a bad actor will use when trying to carry out a particular action. He also mentioned the five areas of vectors, he calls them, from which disinformation can spring. I'll repeat them information manipulation, cyber operations, economic coercion, malign finance, and civil society subversion. These are not standalone things, and if you were to draw, say, a Venn diagram of them, you'd see an awful lot of overlap. I asked Brett to provide an example. Yeah, I mean, one of the great examples is around both Russia and Iran's use of cyber operations to fuel their information operations. So we've seen that with hack and leak campaigns. So classic example, of course, is the 2016 election where we saw Russian intelligence hack into the DNC, hack into Podesta's emails. And then when they had information through those hacks using their sort of vast information apparatus to run a disinformation campaign based on the hacked and leaked material. But Iran has done this too. So in 2020, we saw Iran before the election pose as the Proud Boys 
sending threatening emails or purporting to send threatening emails from the Proud Boys, essentially saying we have these voter roles to create confusion, to create mistrust and distrust in the sort of election process. So we often see this sort of marriage of cyber capabilities generally run from uh, an intelligence source. There's no question that the Russians and others are quite sophisticated about all this, but there's something else that's also playing into their hands. That and more after this short break. This series on disinformation is a co-production of Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International, a global risk advisory firm. Emergent Risk International. We build intelligent solutions that find opportunities in a world of risk. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. Welcome back. When Dr. Levitin said at the top of this episode that we're exposed to five times as much information as we were in the mid-1980s, obviously the vast majority of that has been online, given the exponential growth of the internet, which has coincided, indeed brought about, the decline of newspapers and even the lessened impact of television. Social media has given bad actors like Russia, China, Iran, and others, and let's not forget North Korea, a vast playground upon which to ply their malicious trade. Meredith Wilson is CEO of Emergent Risk International. Um, social media in particular is a, you know, is where a lot of this happens. Mm -hmm. And where we fall behind is um, where we are not monitoring the new social media tools. So for example, um, you know, a lot of us in our 40s, 50s, and 60s are very familiar with Facebook and, you know, fairly familiar with Twitter. However, a lot of the disinformation now is happening on Instagram and TikTok. So um, making sure that you have people that are staying abreast of those changes in information operations, but also where the information is being taken in. Um, the other, you know, the the encrypted messaging channels is another big one. Telegram is a, is a huge part of uh, Russia's information strategy, and they have all of these telegram channels that they, you know, that, that people can join. So they're open to the public, but they're encrypted and they are, they can't be seen unless you're a part of that forum. Um, but there's all kinds of disinformation circulating in these encrypted spaces. Yes, there is. And on top of much of it being encrypted, as Meredith points out, is this. Russia and China have grown increasingly close in recent years, 
with Putin and China's communist leader Xi Jinping drawn together over their shared animosity for the West, particularly the United States, which led to this question for Schaefer. Remember in the old days, 20 years ago, we had the axis of evil, which at the time was what, Iran, Iraq, North Korea, and so forth. I suppose within the context of what we're talking about now, uh, it's possible, perhaps in my view at least, you could have maybe a kind of a, a disinformation axis of evil with the three countries that you mentioned, China, Russia, Iran. Are they working together at all? Do they coordinate their efforts? I mean, do the Iranians say, okay, we'll be the proud boys and uh, you do this or that. I mean, do they coordinate their efforts at all? That's always been a little bit of an open question, although there have, have been some reporting in the last two years that has suggested that at least China and Russia are coordinating at some level in some cases. I mean, there's at least some kind of intelligence sharing, I mean, best practices, for lack of a better word, uh, where we have seen them, we have seen evidence that the cooperation is a little bit more uh, official than just these are two nations who both have common enemies. And so they oftentimes seem to be sort of mirroring each other and amplifying each other's messages. That is something that we have seen consistently. And that's what one of our other tools looks at, our Hamilton 2.0 dashboard, which is the messaging coming out of these three countries. And they are often very much aligned when you look at China, Russia, Iran. Now, some of that is just sort of synchronized worldviews. I mean, there's always sort of an anti-American sentiment throughout. There's often an anti-NATO sentiment throughout. We see sort of similar themes, similar messaging being picked up by the three nation states and their state-controlled media. So in some ways, that's not surprising. Other times, again, the cooperation appears to be a little bit more direct. So when Russian state media was banned in Europe, uh, when RT America shut down after the invasion of Ukraine, we saw many of those figures, those hosts, those pundits sort of jump over to Chinese state media. And so we've seen China give a boost to Russian narratives consistently throughout the war in Ukraine, which is especially important, again, in places where Russian state media really can't operate anymore. So I'd always sort of put Iran third on that list of threat actors in the information space, just they don't have the same level of resources as China and Russia. They're not quite as good at the messaging. And so they're they're more limited in what they can do, but in the sort of pinprick operations, especially with the sort of cyber-enabled capabilities that Iran has, they can still be disruptive. In addition to its authoritarian interference tracker, the Alliance for Securing Democracy, again, that's part of the German Marshall Fund, has a program called Hamilton 2.0. Think of this as an electronic vacuum cleaner sucking up everything that's said on social media by top officials in Moscow, Beijing, and Tehran. What it is right now, at a sort of high level, it is tracking all Russian, Chinese, and Iranian government officials at a certain level, so we're talking council generals, ambassadors, key government officials, and then all of their state media and state-affiliated media globally. And so what it does across Twitter, we'll have Facebook data. Pretty soon we're going to get Telegram data. We have their state-sponsored websites. We have some YouTube data. Is It essentially aggregates all this information. It auto-translates everything to English. And then it organizes that data into top 10 charts, essentially. 
So at any given time, an analyst can see what, say, Russian or Chinese officials are saying, ranked in order of keywords or phrases, and their frequency of use, what links they're sharing, and so forth. And, Brett Schaefer says, that's not all. But it's also a search tool. So if you're interested at looking over a year of what Chinese officials have said about bioweapons or bio-research, you could run a targeted search and get the entire history of Chinese state messaging around a particular topic. This incredible ability to monitor and curate all this helps Western countries bolster their information defenses in a variety of proactive ways. Here's another official from the Alliance for Securing Democracy, Peter Benzoni, an investigative and data analyst who describes his organization's so-called information integrity map. It provides a bunch of tools, training, information repositories of organizations working in fact-checking, media literacy, policy advocacy, et cetera. Um, And what I think the sort of most interesting effects of the information integrity map is, is to highlight the work being done in the global south. So if you look at the information integrity map, the the number of organizations uh, working there, the number two country after the U.S. working Uh, in terms of number of organizations working in the space is India, number three is Brazil, and number five is Indonesia. So, you know, despite the prevalence of disinformation in uh, the global south through uh, place vectors like RT in Espanol, RT in Arabic, which we have seen being hugely influential, I think there is a lot of pushback in the global south, and the information integrity map really highlights that. So don't think that the Russians, Chinese, and others are winning the information or disinformation wars. Our ability to adjust our defenses, organize ourselves, and adapt should never be underestimated. Still, it's important to recognize that the war between truth and falsehoods is a never-ending battle. Thanks to Brett Schaefer and Peter Benzoni of the Alliance for Securing Democracy for their insights. Our sound designer and editor, Noah Fouts. Audio engineer, Nathan Corson. Executive producers, Michael DeAloya and Gerardo Orlando. And on behalf of Meredith Wilson, I'm Paul Brandis. Thanks so much for listening. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.